listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Governor Greg Abbott is uh, with us now from the great state of Texas. I have to tell you, Governor, busing people from New York City. Uh, I loved it from the get go, but I didn't think it would do much other than like a, a stunt, kind of like it ended up with uh, uh, Governor DeSantis in uh, Florida with with Martha's Vineyard. It felt good for a day, but didn't change anything. This is the biggest game changing border policy I have ever seen in almost 50 years of broadcast. Thank you. Well, of course, uh, and it's, it's not just what's going on with Mayor Adams in New York. Uh, look at Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. Yep. Uh, look at what's going on uh, with Karen Bass out in uh, Los Angeles. Listen, they're all reacting the same thing or the same way. Uh, they are all sanctuary cities. They've all told the world, you know, we, we want your tired, your poor, your, your, your illegal immigrants, and we want them here. We're going to provide food and lodging for them. And then when they actually have to live up you know, to these uh, liberal promises they made, they collapse like a cheap tent. Let me tell you something. There's no way uh, that the mayor of New York would be able to last a week in the state of Texas mm-hmm. dealing with what we have to deal with. Uh, it's shameful uh, the way they act. It's crazy the kinds of things they say. Uh, but it is time for America to have to share this burden uh, that Texas has had to deal with. How many do we have here in Texas now? I mean, I know he can't handle the 10,000 from Texas. There are towns in Texas that are getting at least 10,000, you know, a day or a week. How many are actually here in Texas? Well, first, I'll tell you that the, the, the catalyst for this busing operation actually wasn't to uh, try to put burdens on New York. It was actually to try to help out those small communities on the border. Right. Uh, the Del Rios, the Eagle Passes, uh, the communities that uh, the Border Patrol were dropping these illegal immigrants off. Uh, and uh, we said, there's no way uh, they were going to be able to deal with this. And so we began to put them on buses, initially going to Washington, D.C., and eventually New York, et cetera. Uh, but my point is that uh, these illegal immigrants do not stay in Texas very long at all, uh, a, a day, uh, maybe two days. Uh, and then they are put on buses and, and bust out to other areas across the country. That's what Texas is doing. In addition to what Texas is doing, uh, in far greater numbers, the Biden administration is doing the exact same thing. So my point, Glenn, is that they're actually not staying in Texas very long at all. So the Biden administration, how many are being shipped out from this just one border state to go elsewhere? I can give you uh, per- percentages. I don't have the precise number. The percentages would, would be, you know, in the 90% range, 95% range. Oh, my gosh. Uh, th- there's not very many that are staying in Texas. Uh, and, and that is what is leading to the extraordinary volume uh, that New York is dealing with, that Massachusetts is dealing with, that Illinois and Chicago are dealing with, that California is dealing with, it, et cetera. So the Biden administration last week said that they were considering uh, making sure that if you cross into Texas, you have to stay in Texas. If they did that is, I mean, it feels like they're specifically, the federal government is specifically targeting Texas. Is that payback for what you and Paxton have put them through in the Supreme Court? Is that 
to change us blue? Is it to break our backs financially? What, what, why this seeming vendetta against Texas? Part of it, Glenn, does seem to be payback. Uh, and it's not just because of the busing operations. It's because what Texas has done, uh, we have taken over operational control of the border and actually uh, repelled or pushed back into Mexico people who were trying to cross illegally. Uh, we have been on federal land where we built uh, these concertina razor wire barriers. It was the, the National Guard that did it. Uh, they build the barriers, and the, the National Guard guards it, uh, and they force illegal immigrants to go back to Mexico. This is the only time in American history when anything like that has happened. And then, of course, uh, you probably know about the uh, the buoys, the buoys. We put in the water and the, the marine barrier and and the Biden administration considers uh, all of that uh, to be evil when all Texas is really doing uh, is protecting our own border. So my point in telling you that is, yes, uh, the, the Biden administration has a vendetta uh, against the state of Texas. But let me uh, put it this way. Uh, the, 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 the president is right in thinking uh, that these uh, migrants uh, have to stay somewhere as opposed to going all across the country. He just got the location wrong. They shouldn't be staying in Texas. They should remain in Mexico. Remember, it was when President Trump put the remain in Mexico policy into effect. That is what led to the immediate drop in the number of people coming across the border. And under President Trump, we had the lowest illegal immigration in 40 years. And now under Biden's open border policies, we have the highest illegal immigration ever. And but then let me add one last thing, Glenn, and that is this concept uh, of trying to, you know, uh, have illegal immigrants remain in Texas or remain in California, whatever the case may be. That was tried before decades ago, and it was rejected uh, by the courts at the time. Uh, this is a losing legal proposition for Biden. And we'll just hand him another loss uh, if he tries this crazy game. So the buoys, what is the status on that? And if they start doing some of these things, what is Texas going to do to remain a sovereign state? Several things. First, with regard to the buoys, uh, as you and your audience may have heard, uh, it went to, uh, well, first, I need to tell you this, the the, the, the buoys were a concept that were first developed by the Border Patrol itself. Uh, and we got the idea from them, and we checked it out. Uh, we found it to be effective, and so we deployed it. Uh, and as the Border Patrol itself put, put out, there's nobody getting across it. The great thing about the buoys is uh, it allows us to build a border wall or border barrier at one-tenth the cost of the border wall that Texas is actually putting up. And so it is a very effective tool. Uh, secondly, with regard to the Biden's attempt to force us to remove uh, the buoy barriers uh, that we, we we lost in the trial court, which we knew we were going to do. Uh, but we, uh, in less than 24 hours, got a stay of that lower court ruling by the federal court of appeals. And as we are chit-chatting right now, uh, the buoys are exactly where they have been ever since we put them back up. Uh, and uh, we hope and believe that we will prevail in the federal court of appeals. Uh, there are multiple legal reasons why what the Biden administration is contending is absolutely wrong. So we will continue to do that. But let me add this, because you said, what are we going to do? 
we we are as we are speaking right now, there is more border wall going up, which is the same border wall that uh, Trump was putting up. But but better than that, the 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 tool that proved to be the most effective is having the National Guard on the border, uh, building these uh, concertina razor wire border walls that prevents illegal immigrants from getting across. And we repel them, we return them back to Mexico. That has proven extraordinarily effective. And the only time in American history that I'm aware of uh, where a state has actually repelled people who are trying to enter the country illegally and sent them back to the country they came from. Why do you, I mean, you must have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the, why would the administration do this? It clearly is not good for America. It's not good for the states, not good for the cities. We don't know who's coming in. We're all people are coming from all over the world, including countries that uh, have no love for America. Have you come up with a reason on why you think they're doing this? Why Biden is doing this? So one thing you mentioned about the, some of the people coming across the border who have no love for America. So we uh, apprehend Chinese and, and Russians and uh, people from hostile nations all the time. And in fact, Glenn, uh, under Joe Biden, there is a record number of of people coming across the border who are on the terrorist watch list. Correct. And those are the ones that we apprehended. They pay more to try to evade uh, being caught. Why is Biden doing this? First, when he campaigned for president, he said that he was going to have open border policies. And I think Americans really just didn't listen to him, uh, maybe didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, and now they're seeing the, the reality. This this is the Ocasio-Cortez game plan. And so here's what you and I don't know, and that is, who is running the White House? Uh, is it Ocasio-Cortez leftists? Uh, is it somebody else? Uh, it seems like uh, Biden may not really know what he's doing. Uh, but if he does, uh, it's, it's the most unpatriotic act any president has ever taken in the history of the United States of America. So we've got several tasks ahead of us. One is Texas. Texas is is using more than $10 billion of our own state funds to secure the border, and we will continue to do so as we work our way through this presidential election. And we have to put a president in place who's going to have as job one uh, to uphold their oath, fulfill the constitutional mandate, that they secure the border and, and maintain national security so that we don't lose our country. And so uh, I think uh, Biden's days are numbered. Uh, and uh, in those waning days, Texas will continue to step up and deploy every tool that, that we can possibly use that are unprecedented in nature uh, to make sure we're going to be holding back and staunching the flow of illegal immigrants into the country. Uh, I'm very concerned about this next election. Are we safe? Is the vote safe here? Have we done anything to strengthen the security of the vote? Absolutely. Yeah. In, in, in Texas, uh, for two separate sessions or two successive sessions, legislative sessions, uh, we have passed uh, the strongest uh, election integrity laws in the United States of America. As a reminder, uh, before I was governor, I was the attorney general and I filed 
uh, legal action after legal action, uh, cracking down on voter fraud and putting people behind bars for it. And we continue to send that message. Separate from that, however, uh, with regard to the election process itself, uh, we have put reforms in a place to make sure we have security. And let's go back to what happened just this past election. This this past election, uh, for your audience, those who don't know, we have 254 counties in the state of Texas. And all, let's say, 253 of the 254 were able to get their votes counted uh, on election night the way they were supposed to. The only one that was unable to do so, even in days, uh, was Harris County. Harris County is where Houston, Texas is. And so this past session, uh, we passed uh, about 10 laws uh, that cracked down on the way that uh, the city of Houston and Harris County uh, were not following the law as we had prescribed with regard to fair and accurate elections, uh, making sure that the election process in Harris County was going to be even more secure. Governor, I know you have to run. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for bussing those people in. Again, you have completely changed the narrative. It is the only thing I have seen in my entire broadcasting career that has changed this narrative. It's a different game today because of you. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Take care. Bye-bye. Governor Greg Abbott, great state of Texas. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in Texas, but I'm talking to you about this because if it's happening in Texas, God only knows what's happening in your state. Um, I wanted to bring somebody on who really watches this for a living. His name is Brandon Waltons. He does the Texas scorecard um, and every day he does, you know, headlines uh, of what's going on. And he watches this every weekday at five YouTube X and podcast platforms. Uh, there is an impeachment going on of probably the strongest uh, attorney general in the nation. The one here in Texas, Ken Paxton. He's been on this show several times. I know Ken, um, uh, but I don't have a horse in this race. If he's guilty of a crime, he should be punished, but it is, Really beginning to look, and I stayed off this story until the testimony was out, and I have to tell you, something is very wrong in Texas, and Texans better pay attention to this. Brandon, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. So, overall, can you quickly just say, you know, what this is supposedly about, and then let's talk about the actual witnesses? Yeah, so how did we get here? Essentially, three years ago, you had this group of employees at the Office of the Attorney General who accused Ken Paxton of wrongdoing, of of abusing his office to to help a a friend, essentially. Uh, And they went to the FBI, they reported him, um, and and that sort of set into motion what we now have uh, three years later, this, this impeachment process, which many of those impeachment charges are based off of. Uh, back in May, uh, over Memorial Day weekend, while a lot of people were maybe uh, grilling out or, or at the lake or, or whatever, the House met on a Saturday. Uh, they voted to impeach Ken Paxton based on testimony uh, that wasn't sworn testimony. Ken Paxton wasn't made aware of, of their investigation until it came out 48 hours before the vote. 
And the House members themselves weren't able to look at the actual testimony. They had to rely on, on the word of, of the House's investigators. And so and and and, and Ken, if I'm not mistaken, was not allowed to respond in right. in right. his own defense. Right. And so you had a lot of these sort of things that, that made people look at this and say, hmm, this is odd. Well, just like D.C., uh, you know, the House does the impeachment goes over to the Senate to determine whether or not they convict, which would actually remove him from office. And so for the last few months, there's been a lot of talk from those who have been pushing this impeachment saying, oh, just wait until you see this testimony. Wait till you see the evidence. Uh, You know, you're going to be blown away by what we have. And yet, you know, this trial started last week. And so far, and, and we're more than halfway through this, the testimony has really, really been weak. Well, say a little beyond weak. Um, <laughs> there's no evidence of a crime. I mean, this is the let me just read something. This is the third whistleblower. Um, the concern uh, began when Paxton advocated for the AG's office to open investigation into Nate Paul. That is his friend and donor alleged mistreatment by the FBI and Texas DPS during a raid. Paul's contention was that the feds did him dirty by illegally altering the search warrants after the fact to expand their scope just to get him. His technical experts theorized that there was altered metadata in the digital versions that proved the documents had been changed. Maxwell quickly developed the opinion, that's a whistleblower, the opinion that Nate Paul was a criminal that we should not be associated with. Accordingly, he had dragged his feet and ultimately refused to open a formal investigation into the alleged FBI and DPS misconduct. Paxton, convinced of the idea that the FBI was untrustworthy, well, that's far-fetched, He eventually hired outside counsel to help explore and adjudicate Paul's claims, an act that would eventually become the primary catalyst for the whistleblower complaints. Now, did anything come of that outside investigation? Uh, No. And and, and the thing is, is that when you see these people testify, I mean, uh, numerous of these former employees of, of the office of the attorney general has talked about how insane, literally that's what one of the, these people said, it would be insane to investigate the FBI, that essentially they, they trust them wholeheartedly, uh, that, that there would be nothing. I mean, literally one of them was asked, is there anything that maybe happened over the last two, three, four years that might change your trust in the FBI? Uh, they said, no, uh, of course that's, that's at odds with Texas voters. I mean, Republican primary voters, we have a poll, from after the, the Mar-a-Lago raid that shows that 73% of Texas Republican primary voters have a negative uh, opinion of the FBI. <laughs> what a shock. So I'm reading this, and my first thought was, and, and I dismissed it out of hand. I don't even know why it came to me. But I'm, I'm reading all of the testimony, and I'm thinking to myself, this is George Bush. This is... This is the George Bush wing of the party that is that trusts the FBI, is denying that there's a problem in America. The problem is the Republican voters, all of that crap. And then I continue to read on, and it looks like the whistleblowers do have a relationship with George P. Bush. Is there anything to this that this is a, a Bush ambush? <laughs> you know, there's been a couple moments during the testimony of the, of the past week where 
where the Bush family has, has been invoked, and it looks like perhaps they, they were somehow involved in this. One of those being that uh, when the whistleblowers went to the FBI and reported Paxton, by the way, without even asking him or talking to him beforehand, and, and they also said they had no evidence when they went, but, but when they were preparing to go to the FBI on that same day, George P. Bush was reactivating his law license. George P. Bush would eventually uh, challenge Ken Paxton in the Republican primary last year. He and lost 2-1 in the runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have a case where Johnny Sutton, who is a, a Bush lawyer, somebody who was a U.S. attorney under Bush, has been very close with the Bush family. Uh, he has been representing some of these whistleblowers for the last three years and hasn't sent them a bill, uh, hasn't been paid, has essentially been representing them pro bono. And so that's just another piece of this puzzle that people are looking at and saying, hmm, it looks like uh, someone else, some outside force is involved here. I, I, honestly, the people who brought this impeachment the way they brought it uh, should be impeached themselves. I don't you know, the one thing I do hear about uh, Paxton is he's just a freight train and he's not good at playing the game and, you know, making friends and influencing people, whatever. Well, neither was John Adams. And I'm not comparing him to John Adams. I'm just saying temperament wise, John Adams was not a popular guy. But you do not bend the rules to get rid of somebody if he is if he's a criminal, if he did something criminal then I am for his impeachment. But if this is just because he hasn't made the right friends or a Bush wants him out or whatever it is, the people involved in this, because it's been so shady the way they did this, I think they should be impeached. And certainly there's been a lot of anger, especially among Republican voters. You know, it's one thing when we see what's happening with the president, where you see Democrats going after using the criminal justice system, using these impeachments to go after him. It's another when you're in Texas and you have Democrats and establishment Republicans going along with it. It's really bad. Really, really bad. Anything to the the thought that this happened the week that Paxton said, you know, hey, wh- why is uh, why is our speaker of the House giving you know, chairmanship to the Democrats. We don't need friends like this. And then it was later that week that the impeachment thing happened. Is Was there any connection? Well, I think absolutely. There's There's been a divide. Look, Speaker Dade Phelan, who's, who's the establishment guy that, that runs the House, who puts Democrats in power, um, he has been at odds with not only Ken Paxton, but the conservative grassroots who have repeatedly elected Paxton. And so certainly uh, there, there's no coincidence there. Uh, there's certainly been been a lot of bad blood between the establishment and Ken Paxton. It just shows why they worked so hard to try to uh, essentially overturn the election and, and get him out of office. And quickly, what do your sources tell you? How's this going to fare? How's this going to turn so out? They, yeah, so they so they need two thirds in order to permanently remove him from office. That vote is expected to take place maybe Friday, Saturday, later this week. Um, you know, it, it's a little tough. You have to kind of do napkin math because these senators are under gag orders. But I would say that especially after uh, people testifying that they essentially had no evidence, which is what we repeatedly saw last week, uh, I'm hearing a lot of the senators are, are getting very, very frustrated that House members put them in this position where they have to sit through this. And I think that uh, I think that ultimately uh, that's something they're going to be considering whenever they make their decision. But you'll get all the Democrats. So how many Republicans do you need? <laughs> 
Uh, I think you need uh, t- uh, 10, 10 oh, if I recall. 10 weasels. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I hope not. Thank you so much for reporting uh, on this and, and bringing us the story. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Brandon Waltons. Uh, he is Texas Scorecard. You can find Texas Scorecard uh, wherever you get to your uh, your podcast and YouTube and X every day at five o'clock. And just one quick thing, because you in case you missed the show yesterday, it sort of rolls off the tongue to say, oh, well, this was brought without any evidence. That are those are the words of the people who brought the accusations. Yeah, we they, have no evidence. They said they were asked specifically, "Did you have any evidence when you brought this case?" And the guy said, "No." The most credible said, "It's just my feeling." Right. Like we thought he had some illegal activity, so we brought it to their attention. Did you have any evidence? No. Let me give you. Let me give you something else, Remarkable. and it ties to this. You know the guy who was pushed by his. Uh, um, pushed to go into a uh, a school board meeting in Virginia because he felt he wasn't being listened to. His daughter had been raped. The school board lied to him, and then they charged him, and he was going to to jail. He was pardoned now by the governor of Virginia. I want you to listen to what he says. So we were chatting off camera. Uh, governor Yunkin had offered up a pardon uh, for you before. And you, you said, no, thank you. I, I don't want that. Why? Well, to be clear, it was only a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't months ago. But because I didn't want to uh, drop my appeal and accept responsibility this, for America. the charges Listen. that I was convicted of in the lower court. That was unacceptable to me. I really wanted to win this straight up on my own merit in court. But unfortunately, you know, as things have played out and, you know, I had our justice system across this land is unfortunately politicized and weaponized to the hilt, and that should scare every American. So, so you believe there's no way that you could have won in court? I think I might have been able to win in court with a judge if it would have been the right judge. Mm-hmm. But no, I think in a, in a jury, I think it would have been a hung jury um, at best. As he said, that should frighten all Americans. This is why you must care about all of these cases that your friends are not paying attention to. It will come to your door. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Max, my friend, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. So good to see you. Oh, my goodness. What a treat to see you. Are you doing okay? I'm doing great. Sounds like you've had a wild week, huh? Yeah, yeah, and it's only Tuesday. (laughs) So... um, Give, give a short version here of, of what yeah. happened to you that yeah. no one knew. Well, I um, it was a great time. And my life is great now. Yeah. But, boy, I mean, it was a tough time. Yeah. And uh, everything was, uh, you know, there's a reason the word dead is in deadline. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. leaves you. Every time I turned around, I had another deadline to yeah. meet. And I wasn't doing a great job managing our growing church. And uh, staff was having a tough stretch of it. And I became even resentful of our own staff. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. I've got important things to do. It was I was not the the best version of me. And then and then I got diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, which means your heart rate mm-hmm. is moving real fast. And the doctor wanted to put me on medicine, told me to slow down. I couldn't slow down because I was so important to the world. I mean, <laughs> what would God do if he didn't have me every week? Right. It was pathetic. Mm. Um, before I before I became a, a follower of Christ, I was a real heavy drinker, and uh, 
I thought, well, I'll I'll just go, you know, have a beer and uh, and uh, take the edge off. That's the phrase. Yeah. Well, that was just one day. That became two days. That became two or three weeks, and that became a couple of months. And I got into this habit, Glenn, of kind of escaping the office at the end of the day sure. and and going uh, sitting in a in a parking lot in a convenience store with one of those supersized beers and 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 guzzling it down. And uh, that telling, is a sign. <laughs> if you're in the parking lot guzzling beers, it well, is a sign there may be a problem. Some, something wrong. I, I like beer. I still yeah. think beer is fine. Yeah. What I was doing that was wrong is I wasn't doing what I'd told people to do for decades, and that right. is when you're under stress, pray, find friends, somebody will help you. There's healthy ways to deal with stress. Mm-hmm. I was not dealing with it in a healthy fashion. And, um, one day, and this is going to sound a little super spiritual, forgive me, but I, I think God talked to me, and I think God said, are you doing okay? And my thought was, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm handling it. I was, Max was in charge of Max, mm-hmm. and the confrontation came, um, well, you're not doing very well, not doing very well. And that's about all it took. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came undone. I had a good cry session right there, and uh we have elders in our church, uh, a group of, of leaders of men who oversee the church. And so at the very next meeting, I went to them, told them exactly what was happening. They were awesome. They came up with ways to restructure uh, the work demands. I shared it with the church. I told everybody in the church about it. They were awesome. That created a lot of conversations about other people not managing stress well. Mm-hmm. And it was a good uh, – a good come to Jesus moment for this guy who had been preaching about Jesus mm-hmm. for a long time. So why share this story now? You have a new book out about yeah, Jacob. Thank you. Yeah. So you, tie I, them. I love Jacob. I love Jacob. And th- there's some wonderful stories about Jacob. Jacob is the imperfect man who is a part of God's perfect plan. So tell if people don't know who yeah. Jacob is. Super, super quick synopsis. He's the grandson of Abraham. He's the one who was the second born. He was the second born twin. He wanted to be first born, and there was a prophecy that he would be over his elder brother Esau, but he took matters into his own hands. He swindled his brother. He lied to his father. His mother said, you better get out of here. Esau's going to kill you. So he goes into hiding. He goes up to Mesopotamia. That's where he meets his match, a man by the name of Laban, who's ever bit as much of a sneak as Jacob was and marries the wrong woman. He thinks he's marrying Rachel, ends up marrying her sister, which is an amazing story. Spends seven years working for Laban for one wife, spends seven years working for the other, finally has six years on his own to amass his uh, wherewithal to go back home. And on the way home, he's at a creek called Jabbok, Jabbok. And across the creek, is the area where Esau lives. He's not seen this brother in 20 years, this brother he cheated. And that night, he spends the night, we're not told why, alone on the river Jabbok, and that's when God comes to him. God came to me in a convenience store parking lot. Mm -hmm. God came to Jacob right there, and they wrestled. They wrestled. They wrestled all night. It's a picture of all of us who wrestle with God, you know. And he actually thought he had brought God uh, that he was going to pin God. <laughs> right. And sure. God, with one Happens touch, all the time. <laughs> one touch, dislocated his hip. And there's a little Hebrew idiomatic expression that suggests not only was his hip out of place, his manhood 
was affected. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everything about Jacob was done. He was brought to his knees. He limped for the rest of his life. But that's when God changed his name, changed it from Jacob to Israel, a name we still use today. Many interpretations of what Israel means. I love the one God fights. Mm. And so the old Jacob, Jacob fought for himself. The old Max, Max fought for himself. The new Jacob, God is fighting for me. And the last 20 years, I think I've been living out of that realization that God fights for us. So there is, uh, wow, a profound lack of faith uh, right now. And this next generation, only about 18% of them are churchgoers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 51% in World War II. Wow. Uh, the last generation, uh, I think, was 35, and in one generation, it's down to 18. Mm. Um, because I think they don't um, – Church and stuff, it's just not, I, I don't know. You know, I think churches think it has to be slicker and more packaged and everything else to appeal to those people with short attention spans. But I think there's times that churches don't give real answers to real life. Everybody's struggling right mm-hmm. now. And and our, especially our youth, they are struggling with self-esteem. Yeah, Going through, I, I think, some of the things, you know, not exactly like Jacob, but, you know, I, I, why am I even here if I'm not the firstborn? If I'm, I, I mean, I want to be somebody special, and I'm not, so I guess I have no worth. Where do you begin with mm-hmm. um, where, when people are down and they're just like, I don't really have any purpose. I don't mm-hmm. have worth. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the statistics are staggering, aren't they, Glenn? They are. Uh, read one the other day that in 2022, an average of 135 people a day orchestrated their own death. 135 people a it's day. the largest killer now over heart disease. My goodness. Worst it's been since World War II. So uh, why? Well, you know, what, 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 what is going on? And it's a complex answer. To me, the answer has something to do with the fact that people have have bought into the idea that the whole world is just what we see. It's just us. It's, it's the secularization of society. Uh, part of the blame for that is the church. There's been church scandals that have caused people to not trust the church. Part of the blame for that is uh, just the media that – and part of the blame to that is that we've chosen to uh, disallow our schools from even talking about matters of faith, regardless of what faith orientation a person has. So th- I think all of us could share in some of the blame there. Mm-hmm. I think bottom line, people are not being kids are not being given an answer to the question, what am I here for? What's my purpose in life? And is there life beyond this life? And once the church really begins uh, to, to empower people with that great story of hope that we're here for just an instant to make a decision about the next life and that we're loved by a God who refuses to give up on us, I think that will infuse hope into people's lives. So people say, why am I here? What is my purpose? I felt, um, I felt a prompting, if you will, um, from God when I was probably eight and I thought I knew what I 
was to do, and it was to do radio. And um, I misunderstood that um, until I was about 30 and an alcoholic and everything else. And, and threw that away. I went, that was stupid. I don't even know if that really even happened. You know how you, Mm -hmm. you think. Um, And so I just stopped doing that. And that's when I found my purpose. My purpose wasn't to do radio. What my life's purpose was, how do people who haven't, haven't heard or don't know how to find what their life's purpose is, how do you find that? I, I urge people, uh, pray, pray. And the response I get back often is, well, I don't believe in God. And I say, that's fine. Pray anyway. Yeah. What's, what, what you got to lose? If you don't right. believe in God, then doesn't hurt to try. And I believe that there's a God who believes in people who don't believe in him. <laughs> and, and that our faith, uh, that his commitment to us is not com- contingent upon our commitment to him. Uh, there, the, it's called unconditional love. And it's hard for people to grasp. It, the, the Bible word for it is grace, is grace. And it's hard for people because there's nothing like it in the world. Everything there, else is, I'll do this, you do that. But there is, and anybody who's had a second child or more. There you go. I was convinced that there I could go. not love a child more than I loved my firstborn. <laughs> and the moment my second child came out, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love her so much. It's crazy. <laughs> and you do anything you for You do her. anything for them. And, and, so, and so what happens if a person finally comes to believe that there is a God who created this whole world and he's on my side. He's not against me. He's not ticked off at me. He's pulling for me. He's rooting for me. And he's got a plans for me beyond this life. That's what it took for me, Glenn. And, and it's that simple. It's a matter of faith. So, so I urge people to so just talk to him. 